Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 10th of July. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined again by CEC leader Craig Ishwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Robert. It's been a while. And welcome back. Yep, it has been a while. Um, Alright, on this week's CEC Report, we're going to cover two subjects. Oki victory shows Europe is bankrupt, not Greece. And demand Glass-Steagall now before the global meltdown. So they're the subjects, Craig, but we're going to invert them because of um, breaking news from the United States, which is quite exciting on the Glass-Steagall front. So we'll begin with that. There's a, uh, a, a, a presidential candidate who we've reported here uh, is a new kid on the block in a sense. His name's Martin O'Malley. He's the former governor of Maryland. He's a Democrat. So all the news is going that, that Australians see about the presidential election is going to the Republicans, of mm. course, because you've got clowns like Donald Trump running, etc. So this guy's a Democrat. You're supposed to believe that Hillary is the heir apparent and she's going to get the nomination no one else matters. Well, it's not true. And this guy is doing everything in his power to make sure it's not true. What O'Malley has done overnight is he has gone where no other candidate has dared to go. He's declared war on Wall Street. Now, people might appreciate just how much Wall Street and money from Wall Street is the deciding factor in American politics. The, the, both major parties, Republicans and Democrats, are entirely beholden to Wall Street and the Wall Street banks. And so usually US politics is a farce. And no one, no mainstream party candidate would actually go and spit in Wall Street's eye. Mm. And Melly has. Yeah, this has been precipitated, Robbie, because there's been four senators stand up to introduce a new Glass-Steagall bill into the Senate. And the importance of that is that, this, that we're now in a presidential campaign, yes, a serious presidential campaign, and therefore these bills cannot be ignored. They become the central focal point. Now, for many new, new viewers, what we're talking about here is, is Glass-Steagall banking re-regulation. And it takes its name from what... President Roosevelt did in 1933, where back then they had two big-to-fail banks as well. And he put through legislation called Glass-Steagall legislation that broke those big banks up. He protected the commercial aspect of the banking system, which everyone needs for, for mortgages, for lending and borrowing, for, for commerce and so forth. The daily economy is protected by Glass-Steagall. From the merchant banks, the investment banks, and these huge investment houses that we have today that speculate in derivatives and you know, insurance policies and, and stockbroking houses and so forth. So those two have to be completely separated, you know, separate boards, separate institutions uh, for those different types of banks. No, no cross-directorship, no, no, no connection whatsoever. No, that's that ring, that's, that's ring fencing you're talking about that you've tried to use in, in England. It hasn't worked, right, in the UK. Ring fencing is where they've tried to break them up, but only... Inside the institution. Inside the institution. It doesn't work. So O'Malley has now come out, endorsed the Glass-Steagall bill, as a presidential campaign. And, of course, he's been named enemy number one by Wall Street. So okay. now, of course, he's now retaliating. And, Craig, we ran that clip a few weeks ago, actually, on the CEC report, where Fox News Channel um, had this report that because O'Malley has declared his candidacy on Glass-Steagall, he's public enemy number one in the, in the halls of places like Goldman Sachs. And, and so you're right. By these four senators doing this, they've taken his campaign up a notch and they've, got, they've made sure that Glass-Steagall will be a defining issue in this election campaign. It wasn't in 2008 because, of course, the crash happened at the end of the campaign, right? The election vote was November. The crash happened in September. No one spoke about Glass-Steagall in that campaign. 
and it wasn't in 2012. And the reason it didn't come up in 2012 in the presidential election is because the Republicans weren't going to raise it. And they, were read, they were led by a Wall Street guy, mm-hmm. right? The Democrats were led by Wall Street's biggest protector, Barack Obama. He's, he did more in his, his whole administration was dominated by Wall Street hacks and he protected Wall Street. And the best, the best and most glaring example of Obama's protection of Wall Street was just brought home this week when it became news that his former Attorney General, Eric Holder, who was Obama's choice for Attorney General, um, and he was Attorney General for six years, and under whose reign no Wall Street bank was prosecuted for criminal fraud like they should have been. Holder has returned to the Wall Street law firm he used to work for before he became Attorney General. And that law firm is called Covington and Burling. But out of hubris or arrogance or whatever, the managing director of the the law firm boasted that not only was Holder returning, they'd actually kept an office free for him the whole time he was Attorney General. In other words, he worked for Wall Street the whole time. The, the prosecutor of the banks was also their defender, right? And that's the guy. And, and it was thanks to Obama and Holder working together that the term too big to fail um, got a, a partner called too big to jail, yeah. right? You couldn't hold these banks to account. That's been the Obama administration. So, and that, that, unfortunately, that typifies even the Democratic Party's relationship to Wall Street. O'Malley is breaking all those Yeah, bonds. and he's also putting a new standard in because what's Hillary Clinton going to do for Wall Street exactly. or against Wall Street? If she doesn't come out and you know, honestly support Glass-Steagall, which is doubtful, then basically she's saying, I support Wall Street. Exactly. And that means that she is, she's going to become a, a, a liability for the Democratic Party and for the people of the US. Because That's right, because by making it an issue in an election, the people get a say. And as we saw in Greece on Sunday, Craig, when the people, and this would apply anywhere in the world, when the people get a chance to say just what they think about banks, you will not be under any illusion the as to what of, they really think. They're the source of issues you want referendum on. Exactly. Because people, will, people are talking about their future and they want to have a, have a say in their, in their future. So for survival, um, the thing that Wall Street has always said with O'Malley's candidacy is not that he'll win, but he'll force Hillary to take up issues like Glass-Steagall, and then it's on. And I think I agree with Lyndon LaRouche this week, who made the point that we're in now such a period that you, know, you can look at wars breaking out very easily, but also the assassination of political candidates and heads of state and so forth to create yep. turmoil. And this is a really dangerous situation, but it's also uh, a situation of great moment, that there can be you know, real changes take place in the world. And I think as we speak, Robbie, we know that the Ufar BRICS summit is taking place as we speak in in Ufar, Russia. So this is a, this is a huge event uh, for world uh, politics at the present time. And this is all, this is, these are all the interplaying dynamics that are happening in the world today. Well, look, let's take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Greece event and the implications thereof. And I want you to say a bit more about the BRICS summit. Welcome back to the CEC report, where we're now going to talk about how the Oxy victory, sorry, Oki, not Oxy, Oki, which means no in Greece, Oki victory shows that Europe is bankrupt, not Greece. So, Craig, before the break, we were talking about the developments, the exciting developments around Glass-Steagall in the United States. Um, of course, one of the reasons that makes it so exciting is that 
policy more than anything else is the one that can put um, take away the power of London and Wall Street. And that power is being challenged in Europe right now thanks to what's happened in Greece on the weekend. Because uh, it's for a word of caution for an Australian audience, it's go back and look at the Australian media's reporting on Greece mm. um, before the vote. Because at, a best, at best you would have thought it's too close to call. At worst, when I got off the plane from our trip to Europe last Tuesday, I was greeted by the Australian Financial Review, which had an analysis that said um, the Greek Prime Minister Cyprus had called the referendum knowing the Greek people would vote yes, so that would give him an excuse to break his promise. <laughs> and that proved to be so far off the mark, it was a total joke. The Greek people voted no, but they voted no overwhelmingly. It was a resounding no. The whole world heard this emphatic oki. And before we give some details, Craig, I just want to say for historical reference, it's, it's very interesting, um, uh, the history of this. Cyprus's master stroke was to make the referendum a yes-no vote, mm. where no, Oki, was the positive outcome. And the reason why is because that one word historically is a rallying cry in Greece against fascism. And it goes back to 1940 when Mussolini sent his ambassador to the Greek Prime Minister then to demand that they let it, it fascist Italy occupy Greece because of its strategic um, position. position. Yeah. And the Greek Prime Minister... He gave a one-word response, Oki, right? And the way it panned out was Mussolini enraged. He invaded anyway. Mussolini was told it would take two weeks to subdue Greece. It took more than six months. It was so hard to do that Hitler, who was preparing to invade Russia, he had to put those plans on hold and send reinforcements to Greece to help subdue the Greece, which by the time they eventually did, it delayed Hitler's invasion of Russia, and because that proved to be fatal, because by delaying his invasion, it extended into the winter months. And when the German troops were hit by the Russian winter and the Russian resistance, that broke the back of the Nazi war machine, and that was the beginning of the end of World War II, right? And the Greeks have, are very proud of their role in that history, thanks to that word, Oki. And then um, you know, later on when there was you know, hunt, military hunt, fascist hunters take over Greece, etc., it was a word of resistance as well. So Cyprus said to the Greek people, we are being subjected to financial fascism from Europe. Do you want it? <laughs> say yes. If you don't, say Oki. And they said in overwhelming numbers, Oki. So that was, this, is, this is a fascinating history. Um, the question is, what's going to happen now, right? So you did attend the... Uh, a pre-summit for the BRICS in Moscow, which I want you to talk about when we when we get to the solutions part. But just to just to lay out um, uh, some issues for the listener to understand here, it's all hinging on there's a there's a EU meeting on Sunday, right, where the the EU will meet and decide. Okay, how do we respond to this? Cyprus overnight has has offered some um, uh, like a, a package. This is what Greece is prepared to accept. The problem is now, it's not the package per se that's going to be the issue at the negotiating table. Because by insisting on this vote, Cyprus hasn't just said, we're going to, have, we're going to insist on, our, on the things we demand in the negotiation. He's insisting on something much more fundamental. That Greece, be ex if Greece is going to continue as a member of the EU, it has to be accepted that it will insist on democracy like it did on last Sunday. Mm -hmm. And that's this going to be the sticking point because take a look at the EU structure. 
It is the most anti-democratic institution in the world. All real power in the EU structure is unelected power. It's in the hands of this unelected European Commission and the European Central Bank, right? The, the so-called European Parliament is a toothless tiger. It has no power. And all the people in Europe have always resisted the EU um, and in, so they could, in, in favour of their own, the sovereignty of their own countries, have, that's always been their issue. This thing has no so power. This thing has no democracy, sorry. And Greece has broken the rule. And these technocrats who oversee this fascist reign of Europe, they have to decide, well, are we going to let Greece stay in on its own terms, which demand democracy, or are we going to kick it out? And it's a lose-lose um, scenario for them because if they kick Greece out, then that's the beginning of the end of the European Empire. This project will only last if it continues to expand like it has been doing. If they let Greece stay, every other country is going to want their democratic rights back. And then the, the Troika, the, EC, the European Commission, the ECB and the IMF, they lose their power anyway. So this is, this is a disaster for them. And that's what's going to be at the back of their minds as they have these discussions on Sunday about how to actually handle Greece. And one last thing before we talk about the BRICS, I want to say, and then maybe we'll talk about the BRICS after the break, Craig. When we put out a release on this this week, a number of people, including I was very uh, entertained to see from a top stockbroking firm in Melbourne, reacted to our press release on email by saying, those lazy, good-for-nothing Greeks, why shouldn't they have to pay their own debts, right? And of course, a lot of people might think, okay, what's the issue here? Why aren't they paying their own debts? Well, first, you've got to know why we say these debts are illegitimate debts. They're not just debts, and the people of Greece know that. So first of all, most of the debt that has been drowned in Greece was incurred in order to cook the books so that Greece could get into the European Union. And countries like, when I say the European Union, I mean the Eurozone. They, 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 they said, we're going to have a single currency, but every country who's a part of the EU who wants to join the single currency, they've got to qualify financially. They've got to meet these strict criteria. And the strict criteria included things like you can't have a deficit of more than 3% of your GDP, that kind of thing, right? So they wanted Greece in it. There's no way Greece would have qualified. There's no way Italy would have qualified. And so countries like Germany willfully turned a blind eye to what they knew was going on, which was banks like Goldman Sachs went to the Greek government and they said, here, we can hide your debt for you. And they came up with these convoluted derivatives to hide their debt. And unfortunately for the poor Greeks, that um, it, it hid the debt enough to make them qualify to join the, e the Eurozone. But as is the nature of derivatives, they're very risky. And when currency um, fluctuations happen, etc., this debt sometimes doubled, tripled, quadrupled, and there's one notorious case of about one and a half trillion euros of debt in two weeks turning into 27, uh, sorry, one and a half billion euros of debt in two weeks turning into 27 billion euros of debt, right? Now, did the, were the Greek people party to this? No. Was the, Greek, was the current Greek government party to this? No. They were, they were this regarded as extreme left-wing minor party. They, they didn't do these deals. The mainstream governments who the Germans and the French and British wanted to do business with, they did these deals. And so when the Greek people, after five years of austerity, have said, enough's enough, all your threats, you can take them and shove them, you can't do any worse to us than you've already done, we're not going to have this anymore, 
That's the basis upon which they made those judgments, right? So this was what, you know, the, the Greeks have the moral high ground here and that's what's come to a head with this vote and there's going to be huge implications of that. So let's take another break. When we come back, let's, Craig can give us the BRICS perspective, which is the only solution to this. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we've just been talking about how the Oki victory shows Europe is bankrupt, not Greece. And Craig, we, we, we've gone through that in the previous segment. I just want to say one last thing. Um, now that Greece has actually uh, refused to be the, 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 the milking cow to justify the bailout, one of the, when, when they got the initial bailout from Europe, the money didn't go to Greece. It went straight to these criminal banks who'd set Greece up. It was a bailout for the banks. Now the Greek people have refused to be that. It's on Europe's head. That's why I was saying Europe is bankrupt, not Greece. And it brings into question the whole system of not just economics but politics that is Europe. So we've been saying for quite a long time now, in the last few years, there is a new alternative of international relations that has emerged, which is the BRICS. And you got to attend this, this uh, pre-BRICS summit in Moscow last week. Um, we reported your speech. People, the viewers got the regular viewers got to see your speech already. But just give us your sense of how that's progressing. And the latest summit started on the weekend, in the last few days. The BRICS is, the BRICS is developed, Robbie, because of what you've seen of the, the overwhelming uh, dominance, this transatlantic money, you know, US dollar, dollar uh, European euro system collapsing. Yeah. And these countries, many countries around the world are saying, we don't want to be a part of this anymore. What you're seeing with Greek, with Cyprus, Greece with Cyprus, is that Cyprus is saying, we are going to reassert national sovereignty. Go to the election, go to the referendum, the people are expressing what they want. BRICS is a political and economic alliance of Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa around that idea of expressing actual sovereignty of real economic development for their nations. Which is straight away the opposite to Europe per, as a it, model because Europe is a system that requires every country to give up its sovereignty. They're not taking an adversarial position against what's already existing, but you have to look at it, the IMF, the World Bank and so forth, they're not interested in actual real development. Whereas the new financial structures like the new development bank put forward by the BRICS is actually looking at real development. Well, well the Russian economist who's an advisor to Putin, and Sergei Glaziev actually said that, didn't he? Because he, he was asked, is, will the new development bank be a rival to the IMF? And he said, well, no, it can't be because it's a development bank. And the IMF and World Bank have never, ever financed real development. Yeah, and look, the BRICS countries, 42% of the world's population, they have a, you know, the GDP the, the, of the BRICS countries equals the GDP of the US and the EU combined. But the big problem is that for the BRICS countries, in foreign exchange, and actually monetary turnover, they, they only represent 5% of the global foreign exchange. 80% is denominated in US dollars. So what you see is this enormous amount of financial warfare, which we discussed at the Civic BRICS conference a fair bit, of how money is used as a weapon. Yeah. And this is what's really freaking out the establishment with Cyprus. Because to the degree that he exerts sovereignty, like he is doing is saying, we are not going to be subject to an external power that's destroying our people. He's moving closer to understanding what, it is, ca what is capable of being done with the use of public credit. Hmm. Now, this is something we've talked a lot about, and it's something the BRICS 
uh, are sort of beginning to look at a bit with the new development bank and there's also this um, currency um, provision put in place. There's this $100 billion fund, Continuum contingency fund, fund that they put together mm. to protect themselves against currency fluctuations. But look, the issue here is if you have a sovereign government with a prime minister or pre president that's prepared to use public credit, what you find is that the biggest hurdle is not the mechanisms per se, but the political will to deploy it. If you go back into history and look at Alexander Hamilton, he had one particular type of using debt, reissuing debt bonds. Then you come forward and you look at uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, he used the greenbacks, issuing actual currency. Then Roosevelt used the RFC, the R Rural Finance Corporation. We here in Australia, in World War I and World War II, we had the Commonwealth Bank. But, see, but it was the political necessity mm. for us to survive as a nation in World War I and World War II that allowed the Commonwealth Bank to act as an institution that issued public credit that completely transformed and developed our nation. And you're saying that political necessity exists in Greece? I'm anyway. saying that political necessity exists in Greece, but also, Robbie, that political necessity, that political sense of sovereignty is aligning itself with the BRICS countries. Mm. They are natural partners. So to the degree that Cyprus gets completely and utterly um, pushed into a corner by the EU, he can say, OK, well, we're going to go back to the drachma. We're going to have a national bank. We're going to issue credit. We have an economy of sorts and then align through the BRICS to these other countries for trade deals and support because that is the nature of the BRICS. And I'll give you an example of the misinformation, Craig. The other night, two, two nights ago, I think it was on the 730 report, they interviewed Peter Costello about the Greece situation as he's some kind of expert. And he made a big deal about saying Greece has only one creditor, the EU, so it, it can't go anywhere else. But of course, just this week, Russia and the New Development Bank reiterated its offer, didn't they, to extend credit to Greece. Well, so that makes, that, there, is, there is an option there. That makes it easy. You've only got one creditor. You just get rid of them, <laughs> right? And you go and do something else. But this is really what is shaking up the world today. The fact is you have this alliance of countries. There's a lot of internal issues you know, and differences between the countries. These countries are not one homogenous grouping. There's various different cultural uh, tendencies. There's different economic ideas inside the BRICS. But the, the point is, I was part of a civic BRICS conference. The only Westerner in about 500 people, Robbie, because of my invitation by Professor Tolerea, uh, who was a guest at our conference. And our conference, you know, the World Land Bridge, Peace on Earth and Goodwill to All Men, is up on our website. And people should really have a look at this groundbreaking conference and what we actually went through. Professor Tolerea sees the BRICS as having to incorporate other institutions from the West that are sympathetic and really want to see these ideas flourish so that it's not seen as an exclusive uh, alternative but a new alternative to what we've seen with this uh, this global fascist type transatlantic system which is actually in the process of collapsing and that's really quite exciting and as this weekend you have the uh, the seminar the summit coming up in Ufa of the BRICS this will be I think the seventh summit that's yep. coming up and there'll be major deals uh, signed at this particular summit which is really going to, must probably not even be get reported down here in Australia, so people should really listen to the CC report to find out more about what's happening there and read our material. Well, it will get reported, Craig, but by the CEC, as you said. So you can get it on, on our website, but also this is the our weekly publication, the Australian Alert Service. This does report the breaking developments on both subjects we've covered today, Glass-Steagall uh, and the BRICS-Greece situation. So get to call in for a free copy of that if you haven't received one before on our toll-free number, 1-800-636-432. 
Um, but because, you know, there's so much disinformation over there, out, out there in Australia, which I've said before, it has to be balanced and we take that as our responsibility to do that. So that's it. We've run out of time for this week's CSE Report. Thanks for tuning in and tune in next week for more.